dialed in to Fox and Brews, you might hear something you can use. Like tips on your cash or tips on the suds. You're going to want to use the smarts of these stuff. Because they know the brews. And they know the box. And they know they can't help the stubborn fucks. So listen up, because shit's not funny. And save yourself some beer money. Bucks. And brews. Bucks and brews. And brews. Bucks and brews. Recording is in progress. Hello, welcome back to Bucks and Brews. Um, it's been a couple weeks, but we are back. It has only been a couple weeks this only time, not weeks. like months this time. I mean, if if you're listening to the podcast, it's only been a couple days because I just got that up like two days ago. There you go. Because oh. you know, softball season, I'm I'm ultra busy. Right. Um Let's say summer, nice weather. I'm ultra busy. So before I, I introduce our guest, uh, let's talk about what we're drinking. Yeah, let's do it. Go ahead, my friend. All right. I am drinking uh, Adesanya Mead um, over there in Granville. Great guys, um, Mike and Sawyer. Um, so I'm drinking uh, Thought Process, uh, Carbonated Raspberry, and Lemon Mead. I am drinking uh, Fat Beets. Again, Carbonated Black Currant and Blackberry Mead and real freaks which is blueberry and pomegranate mead um i enjoy meads and then it's really what i love about them is they do carbonated and so it kind of adds a little bubble to it brings your you know so the alcohol content's not as much as the wine aspect it's just a really fun drink to me so i am yeah i am partially sponsored this week nice A (laughs) a third of my beers have been sponsored by uh, a guy that just had a birthday, Mr. Michael Benson. Mike, happy birthday. He brought me a Samuel Smith's Organic Chocolate Stout. Nice. Which is by far the best chocolate beer really? ever made. Oh, absolutely. Have you not had? No. Have a taste, Cheers. my friend. I was, uh, I was excited. I was at Adesanya um, picking up these beers or these uh, meads. Yeah. And uh, they have a peanut butter porter on. Oh. <laughs> so I was like, oh. They're talking to us. Mm. just hands down wow like right That's right off the get-go excellent fantastic and by the way mm, organic. organic yeah which is wow isn't wow. that good that's really awesome that, like, that is my favorite stout i've never had a chocolate stout like it's that. that so is, good it's mike thank you like like blew my blew my brains blew my taste buds like we had a porter from them do you remember what the porter was called mike or was it just i don't remember i know it was yeah it was like a, a honey porter or something like that i'd have to they had that yeah, at smith's has a porter and it is delicious they had that too, at, but it is not at beer that city too i just didn't yeah. pick that up no that's that's great i'm gonna have to find that so when i get done with that i got from Iinger brewery a celebrator finest bavarian double box i love box and then i have from grand armory blurred lines there we go so i say mike what do you got my friend well i guess i sponsored myself and i sponsored you i too am finishing the last of my um organic chocolate stouts from samuel smith after that i got it is it's brewery vivant it's Hmm. a straw barb so it ends up being Strawberry rhubarb, strawberry e rhubarb sour. So maybe it's supposed to be in a delicious blend of fruit and farmhouse ale and sour ale. They call this little sub brand unapologetic fruit, but it is brewery vivant. So to introduce our special, special guest, my, my, one of my oldest and dearest friends, Professor David Seawick, I know what he's drinking. It's his preferred 
beverage of choice when he joins Bucks and Brews. What is it, my friend? As always, a coffee cup of City of Lansing tap water. Hey, uh, taken hey. from the tap only moments ago. All right. <laughs> Fresh tap. Thank you, City of Lansing people, for having good, clean water. Yes. Right. So I got hit up last week, end of last week. Hit up, not hit on, right? Hit up. Just to be clear. Just hit up by the professor here. Uh, he goes, hey, I'd like to come on Bucks and Brews sometime and talk about student debt and student loans and all that type of stuff. And would you guys be interested? And I said, well, fuck yeah, we'd be interested. We're always interested to have you on. So <laughs> that's uh, that's where we're headed tonight is student loan stuff. Um, very excited to, to have David with us. I, you know, Caitlin asked me, she's like, so what, what are you talking about tonight? I said, we're talking student loan. She goes, yeah, you got anybody? I said, yeah, the professor. And she goes, the professor. Because of course she's thinking, you know, the only professor she knows, Kyle Hendricks. Nope, not Kyle Hendricks. We have David Seawick. She goes, oh, that sounds like fun. I'm like, yeah, we're going to have fun. Uh, well, I like the uh, I like the warm welcome. So thank you. Yeah, we uh, we love having you on. We were just talking baseball before we started because, of course, we're all big baseball fans here. And, uh... oh, you know, I say we are all big. But I want to point out me because I, I like to take two seconds. I'm wearing your guys' uh, say hate has no place here shirt. And then a, a good friend of mine, actually, so my sponsorship for my hat yeah. is, uh, say, um, it's from Human Rights Campaign, right? The equality symbol. Um, because, you know, I say I've been dealing with a, a, a few of my close family members and stuff that don't agree with that. And uh, it's, it's impacting my niece's life. And, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm just going to go out here and wear as much as I can. So at some point either on air or off we need to talk about the end of our last episode when we got off the air okay i knew you would be totally clueless to this so do you remember the conversation i had with a couple of my staff members hey they started it. <laughs> hey they were really pissed off at you <laughs> to the point that don called me and she goes what the fuck did nick say because <laughs> ashley and sam are fucking pissed ashley said she will not be here if nick is here <laughs> say this- all, all I know is say it was it was a conversation. And the problem is, is this is what I always hate, right? People, people that can't hold an educated conversation. I try to assume that you and I hold an educated conversation, right? We we don't agree upon a lot of shit. We're not gonna agree tonight, right? This oh, is not gonna happen. And this girl, all she kept saying, you don't want to fight with me. You don't wanna, and I was like, you're right, I don't want to fight with you. I want to give you my opinion. I want you to give me your opinion, right? And she's like, Oh, I, I do this, I know so many people, and I'm just like okay, this conversation isn't going to happen. Great. Like have your opinion and just hold it to yourself. But like, don't, don't sit here and blame me because my opinion is different than you. Right. Like to keep, to keep telling me that I don't want to have this. No, I do. I want it to be educational. Right. Like I want you to understand my side of things. I want, I want to understand your side of things. Right. Like, well, maybe I'll get to the point where I can get her on here. Cause, cause mind you, very intelligent young lady. She's got like Might be. two masters. <laughs> there you go right so and, and we we both told her uh, nick can be an acquired taste yeah. um uh, speaking of degrees i don't think david knows this i finally finished my fucking bachelor's not that i'm ever catching you dude but that uh, is absolutely uh, great i will give you a high five from uh 70 miles away in lansing and uh seriously 
That is a very, very good accomplishment. He knows the same number of degrees as me. Yes, I, I have caught Mike. I will never, I will never catch the professor, but I've caught Mike. You guys, you I guys, will all not, I will never catch the professor either. No, no. no. You guys uh, all beat me. Oh, there you go. So we'll um, we'll keep our rank to ourselves, I suppose. But Are you a doctor yet? No, 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 no. Just fifteen masters and yeah, you know, getting there. Yeah, no, good man. I. But I, what made me think of uh, asking Dave about this topic, make sure my microphone's on, is um, the, uh, I saw a couple of things on social media over the last couple of weeks, and I, I don't get on social media very often. I mean, I, I think it's, I don't know, mostly a waste of time, not entirely, and I get on it sometimes. And uh, I had a, uh, a couple of reasons to uh, spend more time on it than usual trying to keep up with some news with some friends of mine and uh so i saw somebody put this thing on facebook that was worded so it was one of these silly memes and the extent of the meme was if you think that all student loan debt should be canceled you're a communist for freeloaders and so i scratched my head for a minute and i thought well you know, nobody really knows what the word communist means anymore. So just forget about that. But freeloaders, I thought, well, I wonder if, um, so let's take for a minute and talk about student loan debt and the numbers. The numbers at first are eye-watering to look at. And then let's see who holds that debt. So for example, um, it's a little bit less than half but still close to half of all the veterans that go to college have a student loan debt. Um, and that I doesn't... Even though they get, in some even cases, though, yeah, GI Bill even though they get money like from the GI Bill, they still have to borrow money to go to school. So are they freeloaders then? Because we'd be canceling their debt. What about nurses that go into COVID-19 wards and put intubation tubes down people's throats? Um, they oftentimes incur a considerable amount of debt to go to college, as do the doctors that are overseeing those respiratory wards and everything else in the hospital. Those are actually the people that have the biggest holders of student debt because medical school is really, really expensive. And a lot of people that are doctors are actually first or second generation college students. So they didn't come from super wealthy families. So are those freeloaders? What about the teachers that graduated on average, you know, $35,000, $40,000 in student loan debt? Are they freeloaders when they go into public schools and teach or private schools and teach? So then I thought, well, maybe part of the problem with the understanding of student loan debt is people don't actually know, A, how it works, or B, what exactly it would mean for the government to write off part of the debt and so if you don't mind i brought some statistics with me <laughs> i there, love numbers i had a professor in college who used to say there are lies there are damn lies and then there are statistics so with that qualification in mind we will engage in some very brief um quantitative analysis right now we'll say the qualitative part of it for a little bit but how much money does the federal government loan to people to go to school? How does it loan the money? And how does it, it being the government, get it paid back? Well, the first answer to that question is the federal government 
this year, and I looked at this uh, number up out of both the White House budget proposal from this year, and then the budget that Congress actually passed, and the amount of money that was allocated to the U.S. Department of Education, which is where federal student loans are dispersed through. And it's not, it, honestly, I was a little bit surprised at it. So this year, the federal government, the U.S. Department of Education is going to have about $100 billion to spend on student loans. And at first you might think, wow, that's a lot of money. But half of that money goes to paying the salaries of the people who administer the student loans and paying the private banks or um, loan servicing agencies that the federal government has contracted to service some of these loans. So half of the money allocated this year for the federal student loan program isn't actually being loaned to students. It's administrative costs. So then that gives us, yep. So that gives us about $50 billion to play with that is going to be loaned to students. Now, the most recent statistics I could find were that cumulatively over the last 10 years, the student loan debt held by the federal government, so that means Uncle Sam's money that he's loaned to you and me and everybody else, is gotten to about $800 billion. That's just in a 10-year period of time. And the grand total of money that the federal government has loaned out to people uh, for student loans is now a little over $1.75 trillion. But that's spread out. Most of that loan money has been loaned over the last 20 years. And most student loans that have been dispersed do actually in some capacity get paid back. That's another interesting idea that people need to consider is, yes, there are a lot of student loans out there that are in forbearance, which is not forgiveness. Forbearance means your payments are paused. And I'm going to try not to overwhelm us with all these different aspects of the student loan program. I know a lot about it myself because I've worked in higher education for 16 years, and I am a holder of student loans myself from all the years I went to school. So, and I'm not at all uh, bashful about saying that. It's a matter of fact, and I pay them back. And um, so I know a lot about the program. There's literally a dozen different ways through the federal student loans that uh, the government has set up programs to loan people money. But to keep it simple, so right now we're looking at about 1.75. So let's say, uh, you know, shy of $2 trillion in student loan debt out there, the federal government holds. Most of that's been accumulated over the last 20 years. So roughly, you know, that breaks out to pretty close to what the government has budgeted this year for the entire Department of Education in student loan servicing and loaning, roughly close to $100 billion a year, okay? Less than that a bit, about $90 billion on average over the last 20 years. So if the federal government were to go and just all of a sudden say, you know what, we're going to forgive all the student loan debt that's out there. Everybody has a zero balance due statement that's going to come in the mail and we write it off and we're good to go. In the grand scheme of things, compared to how much money the federal government spends every year, it wouldn't devastate the economy. 
The government wouldn't go bankrupt. Actually, the government can't go bankrupt. It's impossible for the U.S. government to go bankrupt because not only does it issue its own currency, but all of the debt that the federal government has is held in that same currency. So the U.S. can never, ever turn into a Greece. It's not possible because we print our own currency and our debt is held in that currency. So with that economic principle aside, it's not possible for the government to go bankrupt, and they certainly wouldn't go bankrupt by um, canceling student loan debt. But I understand that there's, there are arguments to be made against that. And I'm definitely uh, all ears as to what some of those arguments are. I'm aware of them myself. And honestly, I'm, I won't say I'm agnostic on this issue, but for somebody that still holds student loan debt, I'm not as firebrand of, yeah, write it off as one might think. I'm actually not. I, I can afford to pay my loans back. They were loans. I understood that from day one when I got them. So I actually have no problem paying them back. But other people are in that same circumstance. And I guess the last thing I'll say about this before I shut up and let everybody else speak is that when banks loan money, now home mortgages, they don't generally do this. And car loans, they don't either. They'll just come take the car. But for a lot of different kinds of loans, personal loans, um, credit card loans, Sometimes what will happen is if a bank has had uh, a person that's had this debt out for a long time, the bank will send a statement to that individual offering to cut them a deal. And oftentimes it, this happens when it's the point where the person's paid back a lot of interest on a loan, but that principal hasn't been touched much. Bank, it's not uncommon for a long-standing credit card debt, for example, for a bank to make an offer. You owe us $10,000. If you send us a check for $7,000 next month, that's it. The debt is retired. We'll call it good because the bank wants its money back. And so it wouldn't be unheard of uh, if we would compare it to, say, private lenders for this type of a setup to happen. And, and some of the proposals I've seen bannered about between the president and the Congress have suggested not a blanket um, you know, retirement amnesty of all debt whatever term you want to use, but more like uh, an amount, $5,000, $10,000, however much they decide that everybody would sort of have taken out of the amount they owe. And the other thing to think about too is unless this type of a, of a, of a thing were to happen, people can't actually get out of paying back their federal student loan debts. They can't. If you declare personal bankruptcy, that doesn't affect the ultimate responsibility that you eventually have to pay those loans back. You can get different payment plans and a forbearance, which is a temporary pause in your repayments, but the loans aren't written off. And then what ultimately happens is if you haven't paid your student loans off within, I think it's 30 years of when they were first loaned to you, you have to record all your outstanding principal as income. And then you pay tax on it as if it were income. And that's how the federal government finally sort of washes its hands of your debt to them if you've strung it out to 30 years. So 
I obviously have thoughts here because I'm I'm way more liberal when it comes to debt than what my my partner over here is. Um, so I argued with somebody the other day. Shockingly, <laughs> you I know of all people on, on TikTok over student loans, and I said, "Oh, absolutely, that eighteen-year-old kid should piss the rest of their life away." on a $50,000 student loan that, you know, they're going to end up paying $300,000 for, even though they can't legally drink, they can't buy cigarettes, they can't buy, you know, uh, a, yeah. a rental car. Yeah. I mean, you can't get a rental car until you're 25. 25. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. But you can sign up for a $100,000 student loan at 18 when you don't know dick. And, you know, so... You know, when I was graduating high school, if I had taken out student loans, the majority of them would have been subsidized. I, I just had this conversation with Mike. Now, you have two types of student loans. You have subsidized and you have unsubsidized. They set them up originally as most loans would be subsidized. You would take this money out and you would not have to repay it until either you stopped going to school, you dropped below uh, part-time, or you graduated six months later, you would start paying. That's that's how mine and were structured. Interest didn't start accruing until those requirements were met. Correct. That's why it was subsidized. Yeah. Correct. Well, and that's that, the know, subsidized part. That's <laughs> so welcome to being poor people, right? <laughs> so my daughter, they've now decided, uh, is no longer eligible for a Pell Grant for this next school year. Because in 2020, she made too much money. You want to know what too much money was? Seven grand? In 2020, she made about 23000 Really? Damn, she worked part-time making great money. Uh, she got unemployment for a lot of that. Oh, okay. Paid, you know, with the, what was it, PUE? The, the 900 Yeah, paid her more money than she was making, obviously. Yeah, I was like, man, I didn't think she made that much. She like, doesn't, but, you know. 23,000 a year they've decided well you can afford all of your student costs on your own here's loans of course i'm anti-loans so i look at the award and they'll give her 5,500 dollars in subsidized loans and like 10 grand in unsubsidized so i told her you're going to call the finance department. You're going to take them that you tell them you decline the unsubsidized loans, but you'll take the subsidized. She goes, dad, you always told me no student loans. I said, I understand what I told you, but we're going to change it to this now because I'd rather just set aside a monthly budget to pay that bill instead of, Hey, you're starting a class. Here's 900 bucks. Hey, you're starting a class. Here's 900 bucks. Because for me, that's better for my budget. Now, when we look at a lot of these kids that end up with student loan debt, I, I would say, David, you're probably the anomaly. You went to school, you took out student loans, you graduated with multiple degrees. A lot of the debt out there is acquired by people that didn't finish their degree. Vanessa's a great example. Nick's a great example. They take on this debt, they don't finish their degree, they don't qualify you know, for whatever job they were originally going for and now they still have to pay this money back yeah and, and that's a really really important distinction and and if i might i'll add two things to that that the 
the federal government has done that's a lot different than when I was in college and and probably when you were too, Mike, because it's been a few years. So now, and I know this because again, I teach at a college and work at as an administrator at one too. Um, students are on financial aid. They have to have a degree or career program path in order to remain eligible for that. So they can't just take classes ad hoc. It has to be part of a career path or a, or a degree path. And that could be a transfer path too. So I work at a community college and a lot of our students transfer to Michigan State or, or CMU or places like that. And that certainly qualifies. And the other thing is, and this is even more important, is now students can lose their um, financial aid eligibility or at least be in a position where they have to start immediately paying money back real quickly. So if a student signs up for three or four classes and he's considered full-time and then he decides not to go to classes after his financial aid money has been dispersed, that's not going to fly. He immediately has to pay that money back. And the reason why the government set it up that way is to avoid students getting in over their head really, really quickly, owing tons of money before they ever even have a clue as to, oh my gosh, I'm going to actually have to pay this back. And because I didn't go to school, I didn't graduate, all of that time that I wasn't in that classroom is not doing me any good. And so those other, I, I'll call them default factors, because that's what the government calls them, that you identify, Dave, are absolutely correct, too. So there's a more of a structured approach now that the federal government is trying to take in still having the money available, but not making it so easy for students to get in trouble with it. And I'm, I've worked with college students for long enough now that, that I know that probably 98 or 99% of them uh, never have any nefarious intent in taking this money and, and not necessarily knowing what to do with it. It's not that way at all. I'm not trying to suggest students are ignorant, but our society as a whole has challenges in financial literacy, and that is not unique to people that are 18 or 19. And so if you are going to college on financial aid, one could reasonably assume that you did not come from a, a household that was flushed with money. And now you're taking on a huge financial responsibility. Maybe you didn't necessarily have the, you know, talk with mom and dad at one point when you were a kid that a better off family might've had about these sorts of things. And wow, you see all that money. Oh, that's a lot of money. What am I going to do with it? How am I going to pay it back? I think that the the government is now also getting better at counseling young folks as to what exactly a loan is. And that's helping too. And the, the proof is that actually the amount of student loan debt, believe it or not, it's declining now year to year, meaning the growth rate is declining. Um, the peak seemed to have been actually about 10 years ago, 2011, 2012. The annual increase in the amount of student loan debt has been declining precipitously since then. So, and I, I think something I want to hit on here is um, we all had boomer parents. Okay. Uh, Mike being the oldest here, pretty much in the middle of Gen X, 
David and I being towards the end of Gen X and Nick being a millennial, um, I'll speak for myself. My mother was good with money, but she didn't necessarily understand how to be good with money as referenced by the fact that she bought fucking grain. But so, at least she bought something versus what most people don't buy a damn thing. Right? Okay. The, she she bought $9,000 worth of grain. It's worth a thousand bucks if she's lucky, but I digress. People normally go buy booze. That's worth zero. It, it would have been a better investment. At least she would have had some fucking fun with her money. Good for- <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I can't say I was taught great financial responsibility from my mother. Fully agree. I, I turned... 18 and she said here's eighteen thousand dollars don't spend it all in one place how's the long distance phone call street oh my god i i spent so much fucking money and i didn't think about it because i was just gonna always have a shit ton of money and then it was gone yeah so i didn't learn how to responsibly spend money until after i filed bankruptcy in 2003 you know i i i know mike's history you know he he's had ups and downs with money as well am i wrong no yeah i I mean there have been two really big downs one was coming back from illinois after you know that seizures i had big medical bills no insurance so you know all out of pocket yep and you know just everything that came with the fact that for like that three or four month period i had no income because we had to be job that supposedly was going to pay us no matter what that did pay us no matter what and then yeah the other one was one was after my divorce yeah and so i mean right in between those two but i mean i could survive and i was still saving some money and you know everything like that well and it's not like either mike or i went out and said hey I need to get better at this. You know, I had an interest, so I'm like, all right, well, I don't want to be poor. So let's find a way, you know, to to build my wealth. And when Mike got divorced, I said, yeah, it's probably not as bad as you think. Let's look at it and and set you on a path, you know. uh, Because you had already changed, turned the corner, right, towards. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mike and I started talking again right after my aunt passed away. So this would have been end of 15. Sure. And by that point, I was, you know, on my way to, to building something, Yeah, you know, and, and I, I didn't, I wasn't set up with those great financial habits that I should have had when I was younger, because, you know, my mom, I don't think really understood money as well as she should have, because she lived in a house that my grandmother bought in 1972. Yeah. And it was her and my grandmother and my aunt and fuckface. And they split the bills, you know, a third to each of them. So she didn't really have to worry as much about money as some people would. Like you had no money. Right. Whereas I went to Hawaii every other year. Right. <laughs> and my mother was an RN. So money was never an issue at my house. I, I never thought it would be. That pop in something? Yeah. And I think, you know, and again, my my dad, I mean, he was paying for, you know, four kids with, I mean, not, I mean, it was probably a decent salary for them, but not great, you know. 
he was probably, you know, when we were growing up, thirty to $40,000 a year, which I would be like, oh, my God, only that for that many kids. But, I mean, at that point, it's probably probably almost equivalent to what you would make a year, Dave, and your, you yeah. know, Levian and your, you know, you know, enough to, but I think the big thing there is, and I think, again, it's probably, you know, either the baby boomers or like, you know, my parents may even not even fall within the baby boomers because they were both born within a couple of years of the end of World War II. So that even may be whatever that generation or the baby boomers was. That's, yeah, that's my parents the same age. That's the very beginning of the baby boom. And, you know, yeah. this makes me think of something. Um, I just, well, can I just, go I was ahead. just going to say ahead. that yeah. I don't think there wasn't this, this, this thing about teaching your kids finances. You didn't talk about money outside of like, you know, the adults. The adults talked money. The kids weren't part of that conversation. At least that's how it was in my house. But it seems to be from people I talked to a very common thing that financial discussions were not had outside of the adults. I think that's still, I mean, I guess millennials probably talk, but it's still a very hush-hush thing, right? And that, that it pisses me off a lot because millennials talk to each other. That that's about it. But like, you know, or, or they they bitch about how much everybody else makes or what they don't make type thing. But they don't talk. You know, one thing that pissed me off about my parents for sure was my dad was very like, "Hey, oh, we have bills to pay. Well, how much fucking do you have in bills, right?" Like, because me as a cocky kid, I was going to go earn that and do it. Like, I had to pay my mom's bills, so I had to go earn these types of things. So I understood these things. But you know. I, I think parents in general, even still, like they don't talk about it. Like I just had this conversation with Emerson, right? We had to go look at a house and she's like, Oh, I don't want to. And uh, you know, she's like, and I was like, look, do you enjoy doing the things you do? Yeah. And I was like, look, this is how I make the money to pay for that. You Like I pay you to go do these chores. Like this is, sometimes you have to do things you don't want to do in the beginning so you can invest and like i always know that so you can invest so you don't have to do these later right i was like the faster you learn this which i get is very hard for you right now i tell her i was like you'll you'll be there someday right like understand that there's going to be a point in your life where you can choose not to do that until then we're, it's go time right well, and i want to hear and, and i think that's still the thought. conversations we're having like those are the conversations i have with my kids too it's just i think growing up it was all like we just can't afford it there was never a reason why we can't afford it that's exactly so, it right so that, that was like and that's where i think the shift yeah. is happening yeah like i'm not going to tell my kids exactly what i make oh really year and x amount that goes to i mean right now i mean at this I, i'm getting close to the age where i think i won so like i remember one of the biggest things in my life right i was living with my dad for the little bit of time and it was $2 a night or $2 per person to go into this thing for a school event. And my dad said, we don't have the money to go. I said, like, I just fucking lost it. Right. Like it went, I was a horrible, you know, how did we not have four bucks for us to both go and both? Well, you got these people. And I was like, all right, how do we not have six bucks? Right. Like how I'll go return pop cans right now. We don't have well, the gas to get there and this. And that was like, okay, 10 bucks. Like, how do we not have 10 bucks? Like I have to pay these bills. And I'm like, how much do you pay in these fucking bills? Like teach me. So I know. Like at this point, I didn't know I was learning how to budget, you know, because I'm just like, really, you don't have 10 goddamn dollars to your name, like fix your fucking life. Like now looking back at it, but like, it just, it irked me that we didn't have, he couldn't send me with two box, right? Like couldn't drop me off. Couldn't, it just, it was one of those things in my life. Like, and there's other examples, but I remember it was only $2 to go to this stupid thing. And finally he got all pissed off and, and we went 
and we still ate dinner the next day. We did everything. Mm-hmm. I was like, so that didn't affect you, but it like impacted me to where we got to go do something, which is probably why I go do a lot of crap with my kid. Like we haven't missed a school event, right? <laughs> like, so but, I, I know David had a point to make and I, I want to hear that in a second here, but I, I think something that gets lost is we had asked a long time ago, Hey, why doesn't anybody want to talk about money? What makes you afraid? And and what happens is people are ashamed because how little they make. Yeah, how well, little not they make. Not how little they make, how little they understand. So David used the word earlier, ignorant. So everybody thinks ignorance is a horrible thing. There's a lot of things I'm ignorant on. Okay, you know, uh, uh, ignorant just means not to know. It's used right. nowadays as a slang pejorative term, but it just it's you know ignoramus. So it right. comes from the Latin. It just means you don't know. It's, it's it's used interchangeably with stupid now, but the two words are not the same. If you look at like my history for my family, okay, you know, I, I know a decent amount of the Polish part. I know almost nothing from my grandfather's side on the Irish, and I, I'm even worse with the Persian, okay? I'm ignorant. It's not a bad thing. I just don't know. and Or have the care to learn it. Well, I mean... There was a time I might want to learn it, but, you know, I'm, I'm 44 years old. I, you know, I don't live with my Persian family. I don't particularly want to. Right. So the need for me to have that information is not as great for me to have, you know, the information on what kind of slap coverage we need to run tomorrow. That, that's way more important to me than knowing and, my Persian heritage. Yeah. And that actually, you guys have all touched on the point, kind of the big point I was going to make. And that is that um, there's been a theme in our conversation the last five or 10 minutes about going without. And one of the things that taking on student loan debt did for me in a way that maybe others it wouldn't, but actually it, it, it's one of the things that taught me financial literacy and being you know, sound with money, being careful with money. And because when I was in my 20s and into my 30s, you know, even when I started to make decent money and, and had a really good job in my profession and everything, it was still the reality that I had this money I still had to pay back. And that stopped me from going out and taking on further debt. And on a personal level, that was a way that I was sort of forced to be financially responsible and learn not to spend money on things when you still owe for others. But then think about this to to steer the conversation back to a a more broad idea or, or concept of what would happen if student loan debt was relieved. So our our society is built on consumerism and it's a discussion for another day whether or not that's a good thing but it is and consumers need money to spend or they need the ability to take on debt to have somebody else spend the money for them and then they pay that person back that's how things are bought and the more expensive things get the bigger that application has to become well if you have a big percentage of the population that still owe a lot of money when they're getting into the prime earning years, that they have to spend that money paying it back rather than being consumers. Society is economically limiting the amount of activity that's going to happen because you might have a hundred or a thousand or 10,000 or a hundred thousand people that aren't going to go out and buy a new car. 
Um, they aren't going to buy a house because they owe money. And the millennials were later to get into the home buying stage of their life than Gen Xers or baby boomers were. And that's a big reason why, because millennials are actually the group that had this huge curve of the, you know, the peak of the parabola, so to speak, of the student loan debt. The amount of student loan debt, as I said, has actually been the amount of new debt that's being taken on has been declining over the last 10 years. So it's a lot, but it's not growing as much as it once was. That's for a lot of reasons. The millennials, sort of every generation has this big thing or a few big things that ends up impacting what kind of citizens they become, what kind of consumers they become in our consumer society. And for millennials, debt taken on going to college is going to undoubtedly, it already has been one of those impacting things. But I think the other thing that's going on right now, and I think this is actually the biggest reason of them all why uh, student loan debt cancellation is now becoming a big political issue. In addition to what I just said about this being a major part of life for the millennial generation who are, are now going to be very soon the most populous generation in the country, and we'll soon have all the voting power and all that good stuff. But the other thing that's going on is there's a big value shift in our society now. There are a lot less young people that go to college. And part of that is because values have changed. So Dave, you talked about our baby boomer parents instilling certain values in us, whether they realized they were doing it or not, they did. And probably because of all the debt that a lot of millennials took on going to college, they are either directly, and some of them certainly are, or indirectly by observation of their kids passing on a value of caution when it comes to what we think of the value of a college education is, and is it worth going through what your parents did, taking on all this debt? I think these two big factors, all of which are directly related, both of which are directly related to the millennial generation coming into its apex of political power, is why now in the year 2022, instead of the year 2012 or 2002, is when we're talking about this. So. Hey. Sorry, I'm gonna jump in. No, go ahead. So I'd like to talk about that. So it's one thing that actually scares me about being me. Um, my daughter the other day, she, we were talking or whatever, and she wanted something, and she's like, "Dad, you can you can get it." Oh man, mom, mom just told me she's poor. I was like, "Your mom has the same amount of money I have, right?" Like, and I think we've we failed as people because like it is mom, you know, mom has her money, and we do have separate accounts, and we talk about that, but it's like I make sure that we have this, but she looks at my wife as poor and she looks at me as daddy warbucks right like i mean but it's one thing that scares me because we were talking about it my mom didn't talk to me about money right she was just always fucking broke but like she was also a very smart woman in the fact that she never like she has her first debit card and it's probably been two years i keep thinking it's been yesterday but i mean growing up we never had a debit card right if she didn't go to the bank by one o'clock on saturday we didn't do anything on sunday right um we just we never did stuff like that. And so it taught me, right, to like slow down, save my money. I was also fortunate that I had older siblings and I'd watch them just go blow the fucking money. And it would take me, like, we, I remember going to the truck stop because I lived near it. And my brother, like, if we got a dollar a piece, right, my brother would go buy a pop and he'd head back. My other brother would do something. And it would, 
I would go play two video games for 50 cents and then buy two little dubbies or whatever, but it would take me, you know, cause I'd have an hour into video games, you know, and then I have stuff to get back home. And it just, I've always made my money last a hell of a lot longer because I watched their happiness just be like, and the pop's gone and whatever my sister right. stupidly bought. Like, so I, I, and my mom teaching us in the, in the fact that she just never had that, like, but it scares me because I teach my daughter so different and like hey don't let money control your life don't let money be an, an influence on us don't like money is not a thing you should worry about but i also do need to teach her that she needs to earn this money she needs to get out there she needs to grind hustle for a very short period of time very but like be very, be smart we talk about debt and david i want to talk about why you still have debt um that is something that's coming up but you know, I had student loan debt, right? I had $10,000 in student loan because I had a half ride scholarship to Davenport. The other half was $10,000. Um, and, you know, everybody's like, oh, how long did it take you to pay it off? And I'm like, right, I made 600 bucks a week because I was working 40, 50 hours a week in my job. I probably took 20 bucks for gas and like McDonald's was always a dollar back then, right? Like, right. so I probably spent 25 bucks a week. And then I just chunked 550 bucks every week at my student loan debt, right? So I was done in 14 weeks, right? Like just, it, it, boom, there it was, right? I just, I, I didn't care. Granted, I was very fortunate. My mom let me live rent-free for the little bit of time because I had to drive my brother to wherever. But, you know, that was the whole, the whole idea of it. Um, you know, David, you, you said you don't like loans, but that's a lie. Like you have car loans. Yeah, there are certain loans that I have. Right. You're right. <laughs> it's not that I hate all loans, but. I, I hate student loans sure. because of the predatory nature of them. It's the same way I, I hate arms for buying a house. <laughs> so that's true. It, it's predatory. Well, I don't like it. And, and go ahead, Dave. Yeah. I, if, I'll jump in because I don't want to forget to answer your question, Nick, about why I still have student debt, student loan debt. And it's actually part of what Dave's getting at, believe it or not. Um, I, because I never refinance my student loans to a private lender, which, by the way, is where a lot of people get into trouble. It is. Every time. By, by doing it or not doing it? Sorry. By doing, by doing it. it. Okay. Refinancing student loans to private lender is a very bad idea for a couple of reasons. One of which being that if something happens and you fall on hard times, the private lender doesn't care. They'll haul you into court. They'll garnish your wages. They'll do whatever it takes to get their hands on your money. They don't care what your problem is. And sometimes uh, private loan refinancing can do, it, it's not called a lump sum payment, but they have terms and conditions in their loans that can kind of act like it if you're teetering on default. The federal loan program has fixed, has fixed repayment plans. There's about 10 different types you can get into. And it also has an interest rate that's, pegged pretty close to what the um, prime rate that the uh, Federal Reserve sets is. It's not the prime rate. It's a lot higher than it, but it, does, it goes up and down pretty much the same way the um, federal prime rate does. So it's usually a lower interest rate. And the, um, so I never refinanced my debt. That made it easy to keep carrying it. And the first few years out of college, I didn't make much money. So I didn't make very much payments on that. I, literally 20 or $30 a month sometimes just to be paying something on it. And so then when it came time to, yeah, you know, I, I could just write a check and pay this off. 
my thinking was, well, you know what? I could do that, but then I could also save money at a higher rate than what I'm actually being charged on interest on this and pay it off my sweet old time. And then not take a, take a dent in my savings because again, what happens if I lose my income? Well, the debt can, the, the student loan debt is structured such that I can adjust my payments on it. But if I lose my income, I'm gonna want some cash in the bank to live off of until I find another job. And so I've kind of balanced that out. And then over the last two years, all of the, um, since the CARES Act was signed into law by President Trump in what, March or April 2020, all of the federal student loans have been in forbearance. Forbearance is not forgiveness. Forbearance means they literally push the pause button. The interest stops accumulating and you don't have to make a monthly payment. And right, who, see, who, who, who signed that? The, Donald Trump. Really? Yep, in the CARES Act, C-A-R-E-S. I know, and trust me. Here's the, Cheat on my here's, But Just here's let. the thing. Because of the time value of money and inflation now is ramping up, every month that you go interest-free without paying that debt back, your debt is becoming devalued. So now you're actually owing less money in terms of purchasing power parity than you were when you borrowed it. Because $10,000, $20,000, $50,000, however much you owe in 2000 or 2010 dollars was worth a lot more than that money is now. And because it, your interest is not accumulating at this point with federal loans, going back to Trump signing the CARES Act into law, um, you are actually owing less money by not paying it back. Sure. It's a very interesting situation to be in. And stuff like this, nobody could ever count on when they took the loans out. And not only did Trump sign this law and sign this act into law, but Biden extended it, uh, well, two times now since he's been president. He's only been in office for, you know, a year and three months. So that's what's what's going on right now. True. So um, I I rail on the baby boomers a lot. Yeah, you do actually, which is I, I fucking hate boomers. Anyways, I mean I love my mom, but fuck fuck boomers. Anyways, um one of the the things that bothers me is they always have, you know, these unrealistic expectations. So they'll sit there and go, Well, when I was twenty-two years old, I could buy a house and buy a new car and and your your mom didn't have to work. Yeah, congratulations. It was nineteen eighty. Yep. It's 2022 now and well, shit don't work that way no more yeah and the, i i don't at all agree with you dave on your assessment of baby boomers i i have no problems with any generation one or the other but that statement i've heard said before and there's a lot of things to qualify that statement with number one far in advance of inflation property costs a lot more than it used to. So in the mid-1970s, you could buy a 1,500-square-foot house in Kalamazoo County for $30,000. Adjusted to inflation, that would be like buying that house nowadays for $180,000, okay? And 
the average home values in Kalamazoo County are a lot higher than that now. They are here in Eden County. They're everywhere. And Michigan is like living in dirt, poor, cheap property value bill compared to a place like California or New York or even Chicagoland where the house I live in here would go for like four times what I paid for in a, I think that's what pisses me off about, you know, suburb of Chicago. So there are a lot of different things, Dave, you're correct now versus 40 or 50 years ago. But the other thing is there's no generation in this country that since World War II has avoided debt. I like no. to go camping. And when I'm driving up north on the weekends and I see people in their 70s driving the, you know, $60,000 F-250 hauling the $80,000 40-foot RV, you think, yeah, there's some debt sitting in that thing. Well, they started really pushing debt in the early 80s. Wait. And we went from a... Wait, time out. Where can I find an F-250 for 60? Because, like, I'm going to pay cash. Yeah, no (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, they started pushing that instead of paying, you know, what you made for things. So, you know, back then, you had a mortgage on a house, Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you had a car loan, but it was not, you know, for seven or eight years. I mean, we talked about somebody, you know, that has to keep buying new trucks for eight years of, you know, loans. Um, so like all of you have seen my family home, my grandmother bought it in 1972 and she, she spent about $20,000 on it. Mm-hmm. Now it's on five acres. It's, you know. 5,400 square feet. It's got two kitchens. Nobody needs what that house has. Well, I mean, you guys needed it. Well, I mean, we needed it in in a unique situation, but nobody right now is looking for a house with two kitchens that doesn't split into a duplex. And when you look at that house, I mean, you know, it's, it's not in the Lake Doster community. So, you know, it's, it's, on a a normal road on the very northern tip of Kalamazoo County, it's worth, you know, probably 350,000. But you have to find somebody who wants to pay for 350,000 for a house with two kitchens. You know what I mean? So it's not like it would be an easy sell. It'd be an easier sell if it was a three or four bedroom house, you know, that was normal on five acres. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you could... I mean, it would only take removing some doors, up some drywall, to turn that thing into a duplex. I, I literally think one door. You need up, to, up stopped going up. A you need one at the. You need one on both floors. There is. You can get through the back, and you can get through the front door. So you like can. It's just not. It's not a nice split. Right. Yeah, but no, it's not like the split. The split on the top is not equal, equal to the split on the bottom. Correct. Now, when you're when they bought that house, though, see one thing: the baby boomers and um, anybody who owns property right now absolutely had in common. Depending on sort of what part of the boomer cohort they were, was skyrocketing uh, housing prices, partially due to inflation. I think of the neighborhood I live in. Mm-hmm. I live right in the city of Lansing. Um, it's most of the houses in this neighborhood were put in between the end of World War II and about 1980. My house was built in 1947. And it's a lovely old brick house. It's one of these, it would be called a Cape Cod if it had dormers on it, but it doesn't. So I'm in the dormer-less 
upstairs of it. And it's a lovely old house. The thing is in outstanding condition. I would now never want to get rid of it because they don't know how to build houses like this anymore. And the property values in the neighborhood, I bought this house six years ago, have, I'm not exaggerating, they've almost, they've increased by about 60% in six years. And this is the city of Lansing. This is not East Lansing. This is not the suburbs around here, Okemos and uh, Hazlitt are, are kind of the upscale suburbs. East Lansing has neighborhoods in it. They're like the better off neighborhoods in Portage. And um, it's, it's not that, but yet the property values are skyrocketing here. And it's, this even predates the inflation that's been a, you know, prominent the last couple of years. But my point is the baby boomers had this exact same thing going on in the 1970s. Inflation back then was caused, actually part of the reason why it's skyrocketing right now, because of energy prices soaring that the United States has virtually no control over. Um, back then you had other things going on too. But my point is, so what happened to that generation? Well, they bought ho- the ones that bought houses in the early and mid-1970s made out damn good mm-hmm. because if they held on to their houses long enough, their wages caught up with inflation, which means essentially if they had mortgages that were 20-year mortgages or 30-year mortgages, halfway through that loan, their loan payments were half of the purchasing power parity they were when they bought the house because of inflation and their wages caught up with it. Then they could turn around and sell the house for at least twice of what they paid for it, sometimes even three times. Mm-hmm. And probably the same thing's going to happen with people that have bought houses here in Michigan over the last, say, 10 years. If they hang on to them long enough, wages will catch up with inflation. They always do, because otherwise you have riots in the streets, and nobody wants that, um, because people have to be able to afford to buy loaves of bread and put shoes on their kids' feet. So wages will catch up, and some people end up actually making out pretty good in an economic situation like this. It's not, you know, the best of things maybe for some, but for some people it is. It's unfair, but that's just the way things work. I think what frustrates me a lot is, so like my wife's grandparents, which is before boomers, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, greatest generation. They paid, you know, $7,000 for their homes. They paid, so my wife's grandparents, their first house was 7,000 bucks. Their second house, which was a brand new construction, uh, two streets over, they they just sold it, gosh, two years ago. Um, they paid $11,000 for a brand new house, right? Um, three bedroom ranch uh, over in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And uh, they never touched it. Right? <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't update it, but, um, you know, sold for $140,000, right? And they, they were just in awe that their house was... And, you know, I was like, Hey, how much was your payment? Like when you had a 30 year and they're like 112 bucks. I was like, what? this is insane. Um, you know, so like, that's the time, time will heal that wound of, of things, right? Like, yes. Okay. You think houses are overpriced. You think all this, but like, as you said, wages will catch up because as a landlord, right. As a landlord, I know that I have a set limit because people won't, afford it can't afford it like they'll 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 go to specific things right new construction things you know especially in and that's the thing that just bugs me being a landlord is the fact that people just want everything here and now here and now here and now here and, now. and it's like god 
Okay, so down in Rapids, they're building 288 units. It's gonna it's gonna lower that area because guess what? Everybody wants the brand new fucking thing, and like it'll it'll change things. Sure, you can you can change that, but like wages, we see wages. I mean, we talk about McDonald's fifteen dollars an hour now. Like back when I worked there, it was seven dollars and twenty six cents or whatever the hell it was. Um, you know, I four twenty five at one of these, right? Like, you know, so it that has was what to, I started out making. You betcha, four twenty five an hour. You know, so. it, it has to it has to change because. Otherwise, there would be nobody in these areas. Yes, if you want more, go get more. Blah, blah, blah. We'll talk about that some other time. But, you know, I, I get the fact that, I mean, these people lived in this house for, God, they're, they're seven, 55 years, right? And then all of a sudden it became worth, what you know, 10 times more than what it is, right? But it, ta- it took them so long. Do I think in 50 years my house can be worth 10 times more? No. Can I see it happen? Sure. Right. I can hope as as the person that owns it. But yeah, um, there's one huge caveat, though, that I'm going to throw into it. Our people that are alive right now in this country um, are facing something that no other ever generation in American history has. And that is the prospect of a population that's no longer growing. It's absolutely true. On the and most of the economic growth in the United States over the last 100 years has been because of population growth. More people are more consumers. But that argument aside, talking about property, at first you might think, well, geez, lack of population growth means property values are going to plummet because there aren't going to be people anymore that need to buy the houses. But that would only be the case if population declined. A stagnant population, which is what the United States will have, meaning one that doesn't shrink but doesn't grow, actually usually leads to higher property values permanently because people do not build new houses because they don't think that anybody's going to be able to buy them because people aren't having families anymore. So the population is not growing. That leads to lack of new housing units. Houses last a long time, but they don't last forever. So because people are born, even if population isn't growing, kids grow up and need to get a house, even if it's just replacing one that their dad and mom had, there's always going to be a demand for houses as long as your population isn't declining. The supply doesn't usually increase when the population isn't growing. That is part of why right now property values are going up and are going to continue to go up. Well, and I can say, honestly, you know, we're an anomaly here because we're three Gen Xers and, and a millennial. And between us, we have three biological children because I have zero biological children. David has zero biological children. Mike has two and you have one. So I know for the most part, I have several millennial friends that have no biological kids and they're not going to have any because they don't fucking want kids. I know some that are, you know, my age that are, have no biological kids and they don't fucking want any. And I I see this with the women more than the men. The women get looked down upon because they don't want kids. And nobody really says anything to the men, but hey, go ahead. That's a tough one. Um, Is it though? because again i'm i'm an anomaly (laughs) so uh i can't tell you how often before having my kid 
because I was like, I, I've always wanted a kid, but if it didn't happen, I was okay with it because I was focused on business aspect of things, right? Like, Hey, I need to know where my life is going to be focused, right? Like, I think I've done a very good job at balancing both, but like, not perfect. Right. But like, I will say the amount of people that constantly either asked me, Hey, why aren't you having a kid? Or that said, Oh, you'd be such a great dad. Oh, you need to have a kid. Like, you know, th- this, this whole, when you're having kids, what, you know, that's a constant question, especially to me, right? Like Courtney, I, I assume she got the same stuff, but like, Oh, Nick, no, you need to have a kid. Oh God. You'd be such a great dad. You'd be, you know, Oh my gosh. You, you need to have kids. Like, man, like, wait, like to me, like, Holy crap. Like, hold on. Like, you know what I need to like, I need to be a man first, right? Like I need to take care of my wife. Like the number one thing that I, I married, like, let me get that shit figured out first well, <laughs> say, and then let me grow from there. And I can tell you, you know, Mike and I in the 501st, we know several couples, Jenna and Lawrence, Jackie and Adam, Kevin and Christy. They don't have any fucking kids. Yeah. And they get sick of answering. When are you having it? When are you having a kid? Because they don't want kids. They don't particularly like kids and they're not fucking having kids. Yeah. But Christy are probably too old for kids. Oh, absolutely, they are because they're you know the same probably, thing with like Chris and Sarah are probably getting a little too. Oh, absolutely, another another couple that don't have kids. Sarah, I mean, I, it doesn't I seem like Colin 40? and his wife are that interested in kids. I mean, maybe they will be because they're only in their early. Well, yeah, they're young. But I, I, don't know, I guess I just would and say, I mean, you know, with, with and me, Dirk and his wife, and I, I would love a grandkid, but why do I want one? I got a couple reasons. One. Christmas is more fun with kids. It's a fact. Two, I've amassed a lot of cool shit. If Caitlin doesn't have anybody to leave my cool shit to, gotta come to my kid. I, I don't know what the fuck she's. I mean, she's gonna sell like the houses and and stuff. If I drop dead, mm-hmm. she's selling that house in Plainwell in five fucking minutes. Yeah, <laughs> she's not even thinking twice about it you'd be proud emerson looked at me and she goes dad what's the sign for uh, may the fourth be with you and i was like no like what they taught you was uh live long and prosper kid right. that's the only nerd thing i know i didn't know there was a sign for there, there's no may the fourth and i was there's like no sign. i was like call mr david like that's all i know like i was like i'm not a nerd and you right? know she won't call me because for whatever <laughs> reason she does not like me what's up mike i'm gonna add my points about kids okay go will lead to kind of what you said I never really was like feeling like I really was like my life will not be complete unless I have kids. Sure. Even after like, you know, when David, you know, and I were friends when he and Don were together and Caitlin was part of his life was still never like a, I need to have kids to be complete. That's like like, kids. I can't imagine not having kids. I also am not going to be like with my kids be like, no, you have, I'm not going to be one of those annoying parents who's like, have great, when are you going to give me grandbabies? When yeah. are you going to give me grandbabies? Well, like, what, what, what pisses me off now, and like this is on the, for the world to hear, right? Like we have Emerson, she's six, mm-hmm. and the constant Nick, when are you having another one? Nick, you need you need a kid. Like, thank you, Nick. You know, blah, blah. drive me nuts. Like we we have been trying for five years to have a second, right? Because like after I had the first, like, yeah, you right. don't want them too far apart. I absolutely fucking love being a father, right? Yeah. Like. It's not that I had a problem with being a father. Mike, I, I respect you so much for saying that because like it, it's hard to admit that fact of like without one, 
I would have been like my wife. It's not like my life would have not been complete. Like I didn't know what I didn't have. Right. And now being a father, but like, I've been trying so hard and the amount of people that ask me and it's just like, Jesus, fuck, bud. What do you want me to tell you? Like I've been pumping and dumping. Like I'm so straight with people. Right. I've been pumping and dumping. I've been trying like, what the fuck do you want me to do? Right. Like I, I literally, Hey, my temperature's hot. Like let's go home. Like I, I, Jesus, man, like get the fuck off my back for two seconds. Right. And like your temperature doesn't matter as much as your wife. It's hers. Right. But like, as I'm saying, she'll call me and just say, Hey, like, let's fucking go. And I'm like, pony up boys. Let's, you know, it's like, so, I mean, you guys yeah. know is that Caitlin is my daughter for all intents and purposes. She is absolutely my daughter. She looks like you. She acts like you. So I don't know how you groomed her that way. The the only reason that I'm sitting there going, yeah, it kind of sucks. I don't have a biological child is because my grandfather and my grandmother's line ends with me. Sure. That's it. Yeah. So my grandmother's parents had seven kids oh yeah had we only are positive two came from the two of them (laughs) the rest we're not sure who the fuck fathered those children but it was probably not john brio okay so those two kids my grandmother what do you mean my, your grand your your grandma? Yeah. 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 or Charlotte, however you know her. Bratislava. Yeah. There was her and my aunt Anna that we know came, not know. We assume came from John Bria. Sure. Out of that, my aunt Anna had no kids. My grandmother had two. Mm-hmm. My grandfather, Art, had two kids. These two children were my mother and my aunt. My aunt had zero kids. Your mom had one. My mom one. had me. Yeah. But what about what about her favorite son, Matt? Well, again, <laughs> much like Caitlin, not biologically anything. So, so I mean, Dave, what? Yeah, what you're describing is what's happened. Uh, across the whole country yeah. over the last two or three generations and families have gotten a lot smaller and yeah. again values in society change this is a huge social value change and it's also to go back to what we start talking about one of the reasons why now this issue of student loan debt is coming up because i think people know that it's probably not something the government's going to have to worry too much about in the future not as many people are going to be having kids they haven't that's part of the reason why not as many people are going to college because there just aren't as many mm-hmm. values shift in society has made college not something that as many young people are interested in and on top of that a lot of people won't go because it's so expensive so the the debt issue is i think it's an issue that is it's probably not going to be with us forever no. now the broader social issues i always think of this when you talk about population i i um i have a book i have a lot of books in my house as you might imagine one of which is is a series it's a history of england and uh the first chapter of the book starts off with the following passage if we were to imagine being a rip van winkle and falling asleep 
on a field in England in 1387, and then waking up in the year 20, I can't remember when this book was written, like 2015, our new world that we woke, woke up into would be utterly shocking to us more than anything for two reasons. One, compared to the world we fell asleep in, it would seem extraordinarily loud. Number two, we would be shocked that there weren't very many children around, so much so we would think that there had been some horrible plague that only killed the children. No, that's, I mean, and that's what's happening. Like, because I look at my family, right? Because my aunts and uncles and all that, my, my parents both come from six. I have one uncle that had six, seven kids. <laughs> like, we always joke and say, like, fucking 23. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but really, like, every, you know, my grandparents, they only have 17 grandkids or 15 grandkids, two great, well, now, God, five great grandkids, but like, whatever it is. Um, you know, everybody pretty much had three, right? Cause it was two, three, two, two, four, you know, whatever it was to equal 15. Um, and, and, and so I just, I look at how it's all going down and I always tell everybody, I was like, dude, if I could have more kids, I would like, I'd be the first to admit if every one of them was like Emerson, I would have 20 kids, right? Yeah. Like just what a fantastic thing. Um, yeah, they're not going to be like Emerson. <laughs> say you know well, it's, it's easy i want to go back to this college debt real quick okay yeah um say because we, we we had talked about um talked about the government and kind of what you know they're stepping in david um two things real quick uh one i'm going to start with my kind of point of this the government stepped in because back when i was in high school um they my teacher was always like hey whenever you go to college there's going to be people standing out there giving you a frisbee or a free pizza or whatever to sign up for a credit card don't you know don't do this like he was the only person that probably thought taught me financial like whatever um but now it's illegal right they the government literally stated you can't fucking poach teenage like 18 year olds or uh, college kids right but they won't do that for for college education right like which and then and and again that's a debt you cannot get rid of David, you had you had kind of mentioned something, and I kind of want to go back to it, if that's okay. And I don't know if you remember. Um, you said ninety eight percent of um, people take not knowing what to do um, or what they're taking, but you said the government's stepping in to make sure that this is happening. Can you kind of reiterate on that for me? Um, how they're how they're making sure that people are are getting more educated on their debt? Yeah, and I thank you. I, Sure. And I think the 98% was just me being kind of hyperbole saying a lot of the young people don't exactly know what they're getting into. What I specifically use that stat as probably 98% of college students who take out student loans and end up in trouble paying them back. And I'm not saying 98% of them end up in trouble. I'm saying the vast majority that do, it's not because they have ill will. They're not trying to fraud the government out of money. That's what I was getting at. But sure. what, I, what I'm, to answer your question, that even back 20, however many years ago it was, um, when I had my first student loan that I took out from the federal government, Central Michigan University, they sat me down in a room. They made me watch this horrible video on one of these little TV VCR combos that the 
screen on the TV was like eight inches, you know, flickered. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And so we watched that and it was some, you know, poorly produced thing that said, this is a loan. This is not a grant. Loans are like when your parents loaned you money and made you pay it back or you couldn't take the car to go on a date. I mean, it was literally like that. And the point was trying to be made that this is Uncle Sam loaning you money, not giving it to you. There is a difference. You better know it. And that difference is in this thing called interest. And then it gave you a quick little lesson on what interest is. And there it was. You went on your merry way and and probably not the most thorough loan counseling that they could have ever given somebody who is about to take on thousands of dollars of debt. Nowadays, not only do they provide a more thorough loan counseling, as it's called, to um, what they call first-time borrowers, but uh, when you take financial aid money, the institution um, that you are at, they you have to be on a, again, it's either a career path or a um, degree program. So I'll give you an example. When I first started going to college many years ago, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. So I just took classes and they were fun. And I kept taking them until one day I said, oh, I think I'm going to be a historian. And so then I did do that and I majored in it and got a bunch of degrees in it. And the rest, as they say, is history. But nowadays, if I were in that circumstance, and I were taking financial aid the college would sit me down and say, no, you can't just keep taking classes to take them unless they are part of one of our career paths or a degree granting program that we have or a transfer program where you have a list of classes, all of which or most of which are going to transfer either directly or as part of a, a degree program credits at a university that we have a transfer agreement with. Because then the thinking is that that student is already being directed, it's why they call it a path, down a road that is encouraging them to think that your education is something that hopefully you have a plan of what you wanna get out of it. And if that plan is something that's gonna result in a job, that would probably be a good thing because then you can pay back the money that the government is loaning you. Like, honestly, I think that's surprising for me to say. And it's fantastic that the government's actually doing that. They're forcing this to happen, teaching people, hey, you got to start paying if you don't. Because right now I'm dealing with this with my niece, right? She's a senior in high school. She's what, fucking weeks away from graduating. Yeah. Doesn't want to go to college. She just got probably not weeks. Just got just got a job, a second job. She works in an ice cream shop right now. She's got a second job at Hot uh, Spencer's. Okay. $13 an hour. I was like, Jesus Christ. I mean, like, to her, that's decent money, right? But, like, also who she is as a person, Spencer's is not a good spot for her. Probably right? Like, not, no. um, and I'm sitting here, like, and she's like, I don't, I want to take a year off before I go to college. And I was like, okay, you're in a very, really shitty situation. Because, like, I grew up in that situation. <laughs> So like get the fuck out of it. Yep. And I was like, just go to school, right? Like I've never told anybody to take on debt except for her because I'm like, honestly, and she's like, I was like, what do you want to go to school for? And she's like, oh, I'm really thinking psychology or this. And I was like, cool, like go for this and minor in this. Like if you switch them, I don't give a shit. Like 
you have a focus, you have a drive, you will want, just go, right? Just, just go. And like, if you want to live with me, awesome. Like, I, I think I'm better than what the hell she's living in. But community if, college is affordable. Community, right, but, and, and she's afraid, but she doesn't have a license. She, and I'm like, look, you can do online stuff. Like, yeah. there, there's so many things. And I, I'm drilling this into her. And I'm just like, uh, so we looked at Baker. Because, like, what I my dream for her is, like, hey, go get a degree in nursing and then be a traveling nurse because you're fucking away from psychos. Yeah. Um, just, just go make a crap ton of money and then come back at me and say, Uncle Nick, you're the biggest prick in the world, but I'm loaded. And, like, I want you to throw it in my face. Like, I always want people to throw it in my face, right? Like, but I will say is she needs to, she needs to get out of where she's at because it's literally just going to hold her down for the rest of her fucking life, right? Like, and she'll never amount to anything. She'll never listen to this. I don't care. She'll never amount to anything more than 13 bucks an hour. I'm sure the same minimum wage goes to 15 but like she will always have that that stupid job being the non-popular person that works in freaking hot topic or Spencer's like and it pisses me off because she has so much more damn potential in this world right like things that piss me off about her my wife and I were just talking about this she was an honors choir right paid paid the little bit of money had to get there sophomore year stuff like that mm-hmm. she wanted to be a singer I'm like you know me I don't like art and I don't like singing I don't think it's yeah. gonna make you a fucking career but I support the shit out of it, right? Like, and then she stopped junior. Like, I wasn't for me. Oh, my dad's not going to take me. He's not going to pay for it. And I'm like, it's the dumbest thing in the world. You can always clean my car because my car is a fucking mess and I'll pay you 70 bucks, right? Like, senior year, here we are. You'll like, pay $70? Fuck, have you seen how disgusting my car is right now? I haven't. I might be looking <laughs> yeah, like, for a job. But I'm just saying, like, I'll overpay. But I'm just saying, there's like the things that she needs to learn is to get her ass in gear because literally you and i both know once that hey i throw my cap in the air and i go drink that next weekend life fucking sucks right after that like <laughs> yeah pretty much it does. literally like sure maybe through the summer you're okay but like you, you everybody fucking leaves you and then they come Real home. life starts they come home for thanksgiving and they go to the local bar and they all hang out there and then you'll be like oh this is really cool to get back together for like 20 seconds and then when you start this is what happened to me is i got lucky i was in real estate and kind of doing better than some people yeah. and people were bragging about how many fucking duis they had and i was like jesus bud like i can't do this right now can i get another pitcher of beer i'm walking home and pissing on a fire hydrant <laughs> right like but it just it's she needs to she needs to grow up she need, and, and she needs to do it really really quickly right like and it, and it just emotionally bothers me so much because i i feel she has so much potential and again she can earn the money along the way. As you said, so I just looked it up. GRCC, $117 a credit hour, I think. Yep. Baker, $368. Grand Valley, $460-something. So like, yep. my wife's like, oh, have her go to Grand Valley. And I was like, fuck that. Like, go to no. Baker, <laughs> go to Baker, get your nursing thing, because there's no way, or go to CC and just go. What's up, Mike? Okay. Well, first, I'm going to say your your point about taking a year off and not doing that is actually a very good point. Because, you know, I sat there, got out of, you know, undergraduate, and, you know, I'm going to take a couple of years off and then try for graduate school or whatever. And 26 years later, I've never taken a single graduate class in my life. I think, mean, you know, Mr. Levian can attest to this, you know, taking time off and 
20, what, seven years after graduating high school, he's finally getting his bachelor's degree? Yeah, so I stopped going to school in 97, and I started back up in 2016. And I mean, I took classes here and there in between, but nothing substantial yes. enough to do anything. And and I graduated from high school 27 years ago on June 10th. Like, I'm going to guess it sounds like for Mr. Seawick, he's probably between high school graduation and whatever most recent degree he's earned. He's probably going to school pretty much consistent. Well, sort of. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I had an odd career uh, education path because I had two stints overseas in the UK. Oh man, you baby. But uh, I've been to Old Trafford before. So jealous. (laughs) Um, Manchester is a cool city too, but not one of the places I went to school at anyways. So I graduated from high school. I actually was not really that looking forward to going to college at all, believe it or not. But see, my mom and dad strongly encouraged me to do it. And I'm glad they did because actually the very first class I took, I was like, I don't want to do this. And then I walked into the classroom and I don't know, just like something clicked in my head. I was like, wow, this is really cool. And so that was a good thing because certainly my life would not have been nearly as enriched and enriching as it has been without that education and all the things that it's done for me. And, uh, you know, I have a really good job and a good career right now, and I wouldn't have that without that. Um, but I did not take much time off. No. So I went right to, uh, right to college from high school, you know, the summer off. And then I went to KBCC, Kalamazoo Valley. And then, um, I transferred. Oh, did you really? Sorry, I don't know if you're allowed to say. You went to KVCC. Is that where you teach? No, no, I teach at Lansing. Lansing, Lansing sorry. Yeah, Lansing Community. Sorry. I was like, man, okay, so that's pretty yeah. cool. And so well, then you I don't listen to... very much, do you, Dick? No, I, I just to... know that because he, he said Kalamazoo, he was mentioning the yeah. housing, housing there. And I always because I'm confused. originally. That's yeah, where we grew up. Yeah. Yeah, we grew but up. He lives in Lansing. Oh, Kalamazoo? Or, Plainwell. Oh, sorry, Plainwell. Plainwell. Is that, is that so Kalamazoo? Plainwell yeah. Schools is mostly in Allegan County. Okay. But, but it's Kalamazoo County. Yeah, when you hit, you know where the meat market is? And not the meat market, the meat processing meat, plant is there? Yeah. yeah. Merco or whatever it's that, called. Now. Yeah, whatever you call it now. It was Merco when we were Packerland, and then it's something else now. That is PBS now, just because I still go there once in a while. Uh, oh, <laughs> that is basically, now that we have the meat market blocking <laughs> back. Yeah. That is basically well, the northernmost part of the Kalamazoo County line. Okay. Yeah. So, so I lived in Kalamazoo County. David lived a road south of me. Yep. And B Avenue. So yeah. So and I officially I, and I lived in Allegan County, though yeah, I was yeah. only like a half mile from half mile in. So you know, we, a couple yeah, maybe a mile from Dave. Yeah, not far at all. So but yeah, so then I got my bachelor's degree. And then I took how long off? Uh a year and a half actually between my bachelor's and my master's degree and I didn't intend it I intended to go straight through but life happens as the saying goes and I couldn't for other stuff that was going on and when I got back I had more than a a couple people tell me oh you're going to be in bad shape because you know you don't want to take time off Mm -hmm. and I was like no screw you I'm not going to be in bad shape I'll do just fine thank you and I got the plan to do it. Like for me, I really yeah. was just like, I want to work for a couple of years and then yeah. I'll 
And that's that's a very important distinction, Mike, because yes, I had the plan to do it. Taking the year and a half off from working was not in the cards, but I did. And then when I got back and I got into my master's and then beyond that, I had um I had a fellowship, which was really cool because then they pay your tuition. So yeah. which not is a bad deal. Which is which helps. and that helps a lot. It it does. And so that added to me, I looked at grad school as like, take it seriously, because if you don't, it isn't doing you a darn bit of good. If no. you do, wow, you're be, you're going to work out pretty good after this is all said and done. And well, um, it's a, so it's a, it's a commitment, you know? We have a, we have a person over here on uh, Twitch. Sorry, I want to read out. Sure. Um, this person says, Thank, thankful for my parents for pushing me to finish college and have the child and also for helping me pay off student loans, right? So single mother that's, you know, went to school while having a kid and, and helping and getting help paying off student loans, right? Like, yeah. you know, and I'm never against anybody getting help like that from family, friends, stuff like that, right? Like, I, I'm not a, like, I'm the first to admit, if you put up on Facebook, like, hey, selling, cu- selling cookies to pay off my college debt, I'm probably buying cookies, right? Like, you're, you're, to me, you're earning that shit, right? Like, more. Yeah, but, um, and my college debt was owed to my mom, you know, she basically was working a job, and it wasn't, you know, a great paying job, but her paycheck was basically going to put me through college. Sure. During yeah, the, and- the last three years, I mean, the first year, I, I had so many, like, you know, scholarships and grants and, you know, scholarships I'd gotten through, like, you know, the things that Plano offered when you were a senior, where I think I was able to pay everything that I owed just from what I had already made from, you know, when I was 16 until I left. But yeah, like junior junior through senior year, all that difference was paid for, you know, with what my mom made. And, And then we did, it was a big difference between paying, you know, her back versus the bank or the government yeah right. um you went to albion right correct yeah i remember well, that i um yeah and see my first two years at community college my first two years of college were at community college yeah. part of the reason why i went is because i worked i started working when i was 16 and yeah. i always worked almost a full-time job when i was an undergrad so sure. i went to school full-time and worked about full-time yeah. i like being busy to me it was never an issue it was like well i got lots of stuff to do this is fun and um i'm admittedly i guess one of those people that you call a workaholic but and always have been and there's nothing wrong with that they um you know the thing is is it made me balance my time and learn how to budget time and use it wisely which is a good skill to have but see my two years at calumas valley community college i paid for it out of pocket with the money i earned working my four twenty five an hour job. Actually, I think by the time I started college, I had gotten some pay raises and was making six seventy five an hour or seven dollars an hour, which I thought was I like I think so I was making hard. that much when I was working at Parker Hannifin over the summers. Yeah, I mean you're making four twenty five an hour and then you're making seven dollars an hour. You've had a big pay increase, you know, I mean you're not making quite twice what you used to, but hey, you know, sixty percent more, whatever. Right. So I was able to pay for my first two years of college, literally by going to the pay window at Kalamazoo Valley Community yep. College, taking my wallet out. They had the, the actual cardboard, you know, thick paper registration card, yep. handing it to them, 
handing over my, my 20 and $50 bills and getting my receipt and just being so proud of myself. Look at what I did. I paid for this. I, and then that was the other thing. And this is why, honestly, I'm, again, I'm kind of agnostic. I don't really have a, believe it or not, I don't really feel strongly either way about the debt being canceled by the government, the debt not being canceled, because here's the thing. One of the things that made me take going to school seriously was the fact I was paying for it. That made a huge difference. The first day I walked into class there, I sat down and part of what clicked me was remembering the week before when I went into that building and paid most of the money I had earned that summer working for tuition. I yeah. said, I am going to make darn certain that I got what I paid for out of this, which means I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to do homework. I'm going to ask questions when I don't know them. And I am going to make darn certain I get as good of a grade out of this as I can. And beyond that, advance from here if I want to. And then it was kind of the same thing when I got to university and had to borrow money. It was the same thing. I'm borrowing money to do this. I got to pay this back. I'm not going to be screwing around and blowing my classes off and whatnot. I want to get something out of this. And now I understand though, I'm certainly not like everybody. Some people that wouldn't be a motivating factor at all to them. It, it, it just wouldn't mean anything to them, but some people it does. No, and that's, it's very I, true. I didn't like, um, if it cost me money, if I actually went into debt for it, like, oh shit. Yeah. Right. Like again, my having my college debt, I just focused on it. Um, having, you know, if, if it cost me more than I could afford, I knew it was serious, but going to CC, granted, it was very hard for me because I mean, God, there was just fights in the courtyard on a constant basis. I had one professor who was teaching math and he's like, uh, he ended up quitting halfway through. I'm sorry for him now that it, like, but he, you know, he would, he'd be like, all right, eight plus eight is 43. And you're like, what the shit did you say? Like X, X, bring it over to here. And then all of a sudden he's like, Hey guys, just to let you know, I'm quitting. Uh, today's my last day. My wife has cancer. I'm out. And that was like, holy shit. But like, you knew that the past time she just couldn't focus. So it was like, oh man, like I just paid money, but I didn't get like, you, you taught me wrong. <laughs> like, and, and so to me, CC was just a fucking joke. So GRCC, very, very different than Kalamazoo Valley Community College. So KVCC was nowhere near Kalamazoo. I mean, it was in the southwestern area of the, Such a of the area. area. Such a ghetto area. Out, out in Ashtamo. Yeah. So it was really away from most things. And it was probably like going, going to a glorified high school, except for the fact that, you know, you were on your own. You were a responsible, you know, supposedly a responsible adult by this point, And you had to, you know, do your own shit. I yeah. mean, David hit it perfectly. I started college and I went, gee, I got a two-two in high school because I could just show up, sit down, and get a seat. That's that's what sucked about college. And me. I just paid, you know, let's say a thousand dollars for four fucking classes. I better get a good goddamn grade here because I paid for this. All I cared about was getting by because nope. I did like to me. I in college was so different because I was the lazy student in the fact that like. In college, right, the professor speaks for, let's say it's an hour, right? And then all of a sudden, says, here's your assignment. Where in high school, they're like, hey, we're going to talk for two minutes. Here's your assignment. 
if you get it done, if not, it's homework. And so like, I would just do it in class, which take me 15 minutes and 30 minutes of talking. So college was such a culture change for me because I was, I was smart enough to just get it done and then, and then screw around. Right. Where now you want me to take an hour and then another hour to do this shit. Like, nah, I'm, I'm going to pass on that one. That's a hard pass for me. Right. And they went to Davenport for bowling. Yeah, and I, I mean, I can't at all speak for the experience for Grand Rapids Community College. I've, I've been there before, but I, I didn't Sorry. go to school there. Um, you know, Lansing Community College is a, um, you know, it's a very, it's a very rigorous academic environment for uh, our students and in a good way. I've, I've had many students through the years tell me that my history classes are as hard but in a good way, not like tedious work, but challenging uh, as what you would get at university. And that that's good. That's how it should be because the classes I teach transfer to universities, so they should be the equivalent. And, you know, our, our campus is in downtown Lansing, but it's a very, um, it's a lot like a, uh, kind of like a mini university campus. It's compact. It occupies about Oh, seven or eight blocks on the north end of downtown Lansing, the main part of it. And then we've got a few blocks um, sort of on the other side of Capitol Avenue, which is the main road that goes through downtown Lansing. And the Grand Rapids Community College is very old. It actually goes back way before community colleges were ever around. It was started about 1900. And when community colleges back then, they weren't called that. They were called junior colleges. They really were this in-between a high school and a college. LCC is is born after World War II, and its its big development comes after a law was passed in 1966 called the Michigan Community College Act, and it reorganized community colleges so they very much were governed and functioned like universities, although they still obviously have the funding that comes from an intermediate school property taxes, which universities don't, and then they um, have lower tuition because of that. But the academic environment after that really changed. And so a college like Lansing Community College, most of its growth came after that act. And so we were really a a purpose-built, so to speak, school for that. And I actually don't even work at our downtown campus. We have a whole other campus on on the west end of Lansing. That's where I work now because that's where our skilled trades in the corporate training area, which is what my full-time job there is. Uh, are located so we have a really big presence in the area and it's it's um you know it's i think that community colleges have always had going back to the end of world war ii this interesting position of being both the place that people go to get trained pretty quickly for a skilled trade nurses for example nurses in michigan almost always have their training um because they can get an RN uh, at a community college. If they want to get a bachelor's degree in nursing, they typically have to go to university for that. But then we also, and then skilled trades such as welders and plumbers and auto mechanics and all the stuff that makes society work. We wouldn't have, uh, you know, an economy without those folks. But then you also have people like me that start out at community college for the purpose of, it's my first two years of university. Yeah. So we're in an interesting place. Well, and you know, when you look at Lansing and, and Grand Rapids, for example, they, they take up residents in the downtown of their area. 
when you look at Kalamazoo Valley or even the, the second community college I went to in Rockford, Illinois, uh, Rock Valley College, uh, they're pretty centralized. You know, Kalamazoo has an Arcadia campus, which is downtown, but for the most part, all of their classes is at one campus. Yeah, and Arcadia is not used for much other than like a lot of satellite. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, and they got the museum right by that too, which I think is cool. The main cool. building is basically a huge building sure. like yep. a high school a big high school sure. yeah you know and in rock valley i mean they had like four but it was all on one campus no i think the education at kbc is is better than it was when you were there hmm. but still i think because it's separated out it's kind of not the same way you would think about like you said great you know yeah, Lansing. And, and, yeah, Lansing's very, I mean, our campus really is like a university campus. We have several buildings. They're, we're not quite big enough that each building has its own subject, although that's not entirely the case. Like one of our biggest programs is our nursing school, mm-hmm. our nursing program. It has its own building, the Health and Human Services building. And it's the nursing, um, dental hy- hygiene, stuff like that is what's taught there. So we're big enough to have that. And when you walk through our campus, it is like being on a university campus. It's because there's a lot of buildings and there's a rhyme or reason to the design and it's pedestrian friendly. There's a parking ramp, but you have to walk pretty much everywhere once you get there. And But it's compact because it's not the size of CMU or Western or what we call around here, the big green machine. That would be MSU, which is a whole city. <laughs> right. So. Um. We mentioned earlier, um, you know, millennials and, and what they're, they're, they're not buying houses and they're buying houses later and things like that. I want to kind of touch base on that and call millennials stupid because we are, um, you know, this, this idea of, uh, of van living and bragging about living in a van and thinking, you know, you know, brag about the travel. Don't brag. Did, did you share that TikTok with me? I don't know. Maybe did I share it with you. I I also relook at it, but yeah. like, it's just it's very frustrating, right? Because you're over here living in a vehicle, right? Like, don't think it's cool. Don't think it's an asset. Don't. Sure, the price of all vehicles are up, right? Like, no. Yeah, some people have to do that, and it's they're not sitting there going, "Oh, great, I get to go home to my van." Right, but like the people yeah, that that's- are. It's the difference between being Daniel Norris, who, you know, thinks it's great and he makes plenty of money that he doesn't have to live in a van, but he does. Mm-hmm. And then now he's a Chicago Cub instead of a Detroit Tiger. Right. But then, <laughs> but, but then, yes, there are people that it's either that or live under the, you know, overpass. Yeah. Overpass. I mean, it's, well, and it's just, but, you know, to like, to, to try to make that the cool thing, it just pisses me off. Yeah. Right. Like, better your goddamn self above that. Um, and then the pole barn house thing is coming, becoming a big thing. And as a real estate, I don't even know what you call rookie, inexperienced person. I don't want to say I'm an expert. I don't want to be that guy, but I have enough knowledge novice. to talk about. Right. Like a novice, like pole barn houses is not a great way to go. Like stop building these fucking things. Stop thinking that it's the coolest thing in the goddamn world. Yes. Okay. You have lower taxes, but you can't get approved as a house for it, right? Like you still, like the amount of buyers, yes, people want them. And when the economy is great, but like when you go to sell, your, your shit's valued at a, 
as a garage, right? Yeah, like, basically. You're you're a garage. You have you have not done the things that you're supposed to. And I get that it's not fair. Oh, it's a two bedroom. No, there's no bedrooms in a fucking garage, right? Like, stop saying that this is a, a, a thing. Like, oh, it's really cool. I can I, I live upstairs. Like I have a mezzanine in one of my places, right? Like I absolutely love it. I brag about it. I think it's the coolest thing in the world. It's not a living can't space. Sell it right? As that. right. Like I, I, I also have a five bedroom, two bathroom house that's a with it, right? And I think the coolest features of the day are mezzanine because barns are cool. But stop, like stop convincing people that being poor and having and buying less than adequate uh housing. How I wouldn't say housing, but like ad- adequate uh investments or or things are are the cool way to go like you're selling yourself so damn short and it pisses me off right yeah go ahead so i'm going to put my professor philosophical hat on for a moment i'll even (laughs) put a hat on do i have to pay for this (laughs) (laughs) oh it's a hat yes oh yeah lansing lug nuts you got it my boy hometown team so i got my lansing lug nuts professor hat on and you know, this goes back to society's values changing to some extent. And I was joking about Daniel Norris, but some people have a high value in accumulating things. And everybody has a threshold as to how many things they need to accumulate before they consider themselves to be well off. And I think that this is really what I was trying to get at, maybe what you were getting at, Dave, too, that the people that live in a van because that's it, they can't afford anything else. And it's either that or the I-75 overpass. Um, that's a pretty sad situation to be in and, and not what most people would want to be in. But people that have, yeah, you know what? I don't want stuff. I mean, I just want to live a simple life. I've got a van. I can feed myself. I've got a place to you know, sleep at night. What else do I need in life? There's a whole different value structure going on there. There is. And, and I think that part of the reason why, and we've talked about this, of course, millennials waited to buy houses because a lot of them couldn't afford it. I mean, that's not, there's nothing, you know, professorial about making that assertion. It's common sense. But then I always wonder too, before COVID started, I, and who knows, maybe the turn will pick back up. You had this big, movement of people that didn't want to buy houses they wanted to live like in small apartments or flats and downtowns here in Lansing they've built over the last five years I can't tell you how many apartment buildings they've built here that are a lot of them are actually condos so you know apartment you can buy basically and uh some of them are right here in downtown Lansing and and the trend this is something that even up until I want to say 15 years ago, people thought that, yeah, you buy the quarter million dollar house in the suburbs around here, Okemos, Hazlitt, yeah, you'll sell that thing in 20 years or twice what you paid for it. People would be beating the door down to get in there and and that's how it goes. And then all of a sudden, one day, oh, wow, there's like this whole generation of people that, yeah, some of them are fine with that, but others are wanting to move back into city centers. And that was something that, the baby boomers, and even to some extent, their parents got away from. Society changes a lot in surprising ways, and it's it always has, and it always will. 
Yeah, I, I got to say, you know, I, I grew up in the country, obviously, and, and my biggest thing was I wanted to live in an area where I could, you know, walk to the grocery store if I Get wanted food, to. Right? Or, yeah. Or, you know, I had a two minute drive, you know, to the post office or whatever, not a, a eight minute drive or a 10 minute drive or a 20 minute drive. No. You know, if, if you wanted to do something when I was young. You hopped on your bike, you rode to your friend's house because that's the only way to get there. But it's not like you're going to hop on your bike to ride to downtown Plainwell, you know, to go shoot hoops or get ice cream or anything like that because, you know, you're talking a six-mile ride. Right. Well, you know, I think the thing that bothers me the most about it is when I watch people sell their vans, right? Oh, I'm selling this van. Yes, it needs some work and I just don't want to put, I don't want to put it into it because I'm, I'm changing my life. And they, they try to sell it as like this real bullshit thing. And that pisses me off because you're just selling to the next sucker. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and uh, you know, one girl's like, Oh, if you come here and you don't pay me this price, that means you're not serious enough about and, and taking care of my baby. It's not your, it's not your baby anymore. Like right. you're just giving somebody else your wheel bearing problem that you can't afford because living in your van didn't teach you to save money right like i I have to ask this yeah i I don't know if you'll understand the reference if you're living in your van is it down by the river is it down by the river that's a fact oh my god i think i won't know that but are are you a motivational speaker my name is matt foley yeah moving in with you guys one of my (laughs) favorite snl bits yes of course but you know so like stop I, I just, I need people to stop doing this. Okay. If your plan is to build a barn dominium and then put a house on it. Awesome. Hey, I'm doing this until I can build my five bedroom house in the front part of this. This is getting me by, Hey, I'm doing this to get to this point, but like a van really, I just, I have no fucking idea what the, what you people are doing. Right. Like, so you're going to, you're going to hate me that net because honestly, probably depending on what my kids do when they, are out of my house. I mean, not a van per se, but I'm doing an I RV. May, I may happily, yeah, and I may, you know, with Mr. Levian still has his property down in Plano and his mom is, you know, dead and he's just owning it and not, you know, letting his daughter sell it yet. I may park my small RV down there and got, got plenty of room, which is fine. Like, okay, so an RV is completely different, right? And you're going to be in retirement life not your building wealth part of life yeah uh, but see that's why i was getting at with values i there there are plenty of people and i think there's even going to be more forthcoming that won't will not look at a house as a, a way you build an wealth. asset yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a place you live well that's and, you know, and honestly to some extent i i mean when i bought this house building wealth was the absolute last thing on my mind i didn't care i bought the house because i really liked it 100%. And I wanted to live in the city, not in the suburbs, so I could be close to stuff. Mm-hmm. I I can walk pretty much anywhere here. I can. It doesn't take two hours. I can actually even walk to downtown Lansing from here in under an hour. It takes about 45 minutes to walk from to there, which I think is really cool. And there's sidewalks like the whole way. And uh, I think we'll be in Lansing tomorrow. So if you want to have <laughs> lunch, let me know. So, but so I mean, so my point is, I. I didn't want to go out and buy the five bedroom house in the suburbs, regardless of if, you know, could afford or not. That wasn't the issue. It was, I like to, 
an old older house that's in really good shape and is in a neighborhood with some character in it and is close to everything. And so people people have a lot of different reasons when they when they go to buy a house and pick where they're going to live. Oh, I my fully house agree. Right like, now is strictly because it's in my kid's school. That's yeah. that's a, so when, when I, I bought mean, it. It was exactly the reason why I bought it. I mean, I, I didn't have I bought mine. I, I didn't have been, a kid. I could have had a bigger house for the same exact price in Kalamazoo. I wasn't going to change my kid out of mortgage, but sure, you know, I, I looked at two houses on the same day. You know, one the second one I looked at is the one I bought and I live in. But even the one I looked at first, I'm like, I'm like, I, I would buy this house, but it was again in Kalamazoo, and I'm like, it's bigger. You know, we'd have a basement, we'd have an upstairs, we'd have you know a decent yard with a, you know, a fenced in yard and everything. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to forego this because I want to be, you know, two minutes from where my kids go to school. Yeah. And that's when I bought this house, I bought it with my brother and we met with the realtor and we're like, so we don't believe in driving more than three or four miles to work. So this is where he works. This is where I work. Find us a house. And they're like, really? Like, yeah, really. Like I, why would you want to sit in traffic for an hour every day? Yep. Yeah. Well, Does I, your uh, brother still live with you? Yeah. yeah. Why does he, he never um, on? What's that? Why does he never get on? Oh, uh, I don't know. I've asked him before. And uh, is this, this know. is your twin, right? Yeah. Or no, this, okay. This yeah, is, he I moved do. in with me a, a few years ago and then wasn't going to leave and so we were like hey let's just buy a house and just never left at some no, point mike we need I say to... that and, and i mean it was it was fine i yeah. you know at and, some point mike we when we're not working break room on a weekend and we're together we just need to make a drive to lansing yeah come on over dave you've been, and I, and I've been, I've been there and i i miss you guys I'm, I'm going tomorrow void is and deflated yes and and Dave, I have another Chesapeake Bay Retriever that yes. can sit on your uh, your uh, Star Wars boots and keep absolutely, them warm, just like the other one did. This one's a young guy now, and he'll love you just as much as the other one did. Trust me. Dave does have the best dogs, so I did not share this with you. Yeah, but I shared this with my wife. The paper, the pa- I'm going to say the paper because I don't know who it was. Did an article on this couple that has decided to live their retirement on a cruise. So every time they get off one boat, they hop on another another boat and it costs them $43 a day to live on the cruise. They don't have to have a house. They don't have to worry about food, medical. There's medical. Yeah. Everything's covered. Yeah. No, that's that's, $43 a day. yeah. Yeah. So like those, there's, there's actually that's like their bunch, retirement. There's a bunch of things about that because there's a bunch of older retired people that that's what they do because there's medical on board. Yep. There is everything basically that you need on board, and it's cheaper than living in an apartment. Yeah. And and, and one ha- woman that was in the pool with us at very first yeah. day we were on the boat, she went to the same thing. She basically has like she lives with like her daughter or something for the couple of days she's off the boat, and otherwise she just hops out of boat and goes. Yep. That would be that'd be interesting. I would be about that, but I guess, yeah. I mean, the price of rent these days, yeah, maybe. My wife goes retirement goals. Well, that's just it. I mean, you know, I mean, when you add up food, living, gas, like the world, 
you're golden, right? Like it's, it's good food, you know. If you, yeah. you know, it's not like it's cheap. You know, but, you're living off of ramen and peanut butter hey, and jelly sandwiches. What's wrong with ramen and PB and J? Probably gonna go eat both of those tonight, just to spite you. So let's say, <laughs> let's say let's say it costs fifty dollars a day. Yeah, and there's thirty days in a month. Mm-hmm. Could you live for fifteen hundred bucks? One hundred percent. No, I'm saying in your life right now. Yes. You could. Yes. With your mortgage. Yes. Okay. And and my vehicles, my 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 car insurance, everything. All the food. Now, would I have your really, insurance? Would I struggle at points? Yes. I know what my monthly bills are. They're not fifteen hundred dollars. They're but, way more. But that's what, and that, that's the whole thing I get to everybody is like people don't understand how fucking frugal I actually live. Now, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't be drinking Adesanya Mead, right? I wouldn't be You'd drinking be drinking Paps. I didn't. I mean, the free Paps that my buddy brought over, right? right? Because I'd be like, hey man, you want to come hang out, bring some beer? Like I, you know, I have the ninety nine pack that I got for Christmas, and I still have like I don't know sixty of them or something. But like, it, it just could I do it? Yes. And like, that's what people don't understand. It's like, that's how my life with my wife started for years, right? Like people don't understand when, when we bought our duplex, every time the first duplex we bought the first fucking year, we literally ate hot dogs and ramen and people were like, no. And I was like, honestly, yes, you're right. I didn't eat just ramen. I put soy sauce in it and thought it was the greatest invention in the world. I put noodle or I put peas in it and corn and thought like i was in heaven all of a sudden we we would get hot dogs and i like and and people don't Did you leave right. a little bit of the uh crispy noodles and sprinkle them on the top for the no no all, expensive. Yeah, no not even just that like i'd take the you water don't cook. You, you take like a little chunk I, off before you cook it and, yeah, and there's always the last time pieces that stay in the bottom the of the package I, when you dump it into the no, water forget i'd throw that away i couldn't tell you the last time i've actually had ramen with liquid <laughs> i've only had noodles but like i'm i'm 44 oh, I, I prefer, years I old i've never had ramen with anybody really i've never had ramen oh but like or, or we throw italian dressing on it like i i can't tell you people how and people don't believe me like that's the thing that pisses me off about yep. and that's why i'm so adamant about this like you can actually do it dude i am fucking this big because i literally ate sodium for 300 days a goddamn year right like my mom took me out to dinner because she felt bad for the other five right like it just 360 days my wife and i literally hot dogs ramen and if it was again when i tell you i love salisbury steak because it was a dollar it i probably did the 10 for 10 get the 11 for free it, it because that was like my gift to myself once every fucking month like so struggle 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 tell people all the time God, you have no idea what I went through to get to where I am. Like, I don't, I still, I'm 33 fucking years old and have, don't have internet. I don't have cable. I don't have, somebody just posted, one of my friends is like, hey, go through your, you want to make 1200 bucks a month? Go through your bank statement and get rid of, you know, and see what you pay $10 or $15 a month for and you don't yeah, you use don't pay anything. I, I, I don't own a fucking gym membership because I'm afraid to sign up for $20 a goddamn month. Uh-huh. I have more money than most people have, but I'm not going to put myself out there for that. Like, I don't, yes, do I splurge on $7 cans of alcohol? Yes, but I pay it and I'm done with it. Like, it's not like, it's not like it's a recurring thing. I have zero, zero membership. My wife has one and I think she canceled it and it was an Ipsy bag for 10 bucks. And I told her, I was like, hey, I will pay you the 120 bucks just because we have fun once a month guessing what color bag that stupid thing comes in. 
we literally live so frugal. So I'm talking to the girls the other day at practice. Yeah. And this this relates to you specifically because I've been craving this for a while. Ooh, Salisbury steak. No, <laughs> beef definitely not. Beefaroni. No. Um, and they're talking, and one of our kids is a vegetarian. I'm like, yeah, my wife's a vegetarian. I could do that except one thing. Hot dogs, hot baby. Dogs. I've been craving fucking hot dogs for a week. My One of my best friends is Steve. You've met him. Tattoos yeah. on his face. Yeah. We were working new life together. And every day for a fucking month, I ate 67 cent can of beefaroni from Aldi. Yep. Every that that was my lunch every day. All of a sudden he came in with a brat and I'm looking at my beefaroni. He was like, God, I just I can't fucking and he's like, Hey bro, you want a brat? And I was like, Hell yes, yes I do. <laughs> like, hell yes, I do, right? And like he gave me a brat, I gave him my beefaroni or whatever, and it was like that was like that was just all right, cool. Maybe I should switch it up, maybe I should do some ravioli or something, but like people don't understand like when when i tell you you can live for three bucks a goddamn day off yeah. of food like an episode like we did and and i did it it's not healthy it's not no. it's not could i make it healthy i want to challenge myself now like maybe we should do that raise some money and i will i'll raise money and i will literally eat healthy for less than five bucks a day uh for one full month and i will i'll, I'll show people this is a possibility right as long like, as you as long as you can cook you can. And, the, yep. but, and that's just like i'll even do it with the spices because i you can get them for 88 cents at walmart right now for garlic and the, but the fact <laughs> is still you know rice i mean you get a bag of a five pound bag of rice for like four bucks right well and, yeah, you, you know you, a, but the problem a is that, of flour and you can make whole grain bread that mm-hmm. will fill pe- you up pe- like nothing for about 10 cents a loaf but people will constantly like they'll argue like oh the gas to cook it the water to do this and it's like dude all right, you know what? Don't don't it, nitpick this it's aspect. So much cheaper than the other shit you could do. Right, like don't get me wrong. I just spe- so I went to a taco place in Muskegon today. Yeah, I bought three tacos, a nice glass of. Co- I haven't had a glass coke in forever. Yeah. I did that, um, and I had some chips and salsa that came free. But like all of a sudden, an officer walked in. He sat down. The waiter, waiter and waitress was like, "You taking one?" And like she's like, "No." And I was like cool i'm gonna change this i'm gonna change this mindset i'm gonna change it real quick comes over to me he goes hey sir anything else and i was like yeah anything you order is put it on my tab right all of a sudden i have a 30 something dollar tab and i was like i don't give a shit like you need to understand that they're people they're here for this like liberal aspect of whatever like jesus stop thinking so negative of anybody in this world right so my wife yesterday yeah i'm I'm on my way home from the game and yeah or I'm hoping I have goulash tonight. Technically practice, but I'd stopped to do some scouting. And, and yeah. I talked to Dawn and she's like, yeah, the Chinese place by us reopened under a new name. I, I'd really kind of like to go. Oh, yeah. And it's a buffet. And I don't like Chinese buffets. Where is it at? It's uh, right across from Meyer. You know that Oriental buffet? Oh, on, on, uh, well, that's expensive. Over yeah. on Clyde Park. It's 18 bucks. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pass on that hard. So so she, she wants to go. She's got 15 percent off coupon blah 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 I'm like fine we, we I, i'm like yeah that sounds great we can go and i'm thinking yeah. to myself the whole time it's gonna be a fucking waste of 18 dollars <laughs> so we go and we it was okay at best sure and afterwards she goes really sad i talked you into this this wasn't that great and i'm like yeah i could have told you that but you know you wanted to go so you're right oh that's fine i just oh sorry to get on my my soapbox but like 
I just get so mad when people tell me I didn't earn what I have or that I'm just this rich piece of shit because it like you were talking about in the beginning, like what are these people? And I was like, I have my opinions. I have where I come from. I have what I've been grateful for. <laughs> like these, well, and again, if you I, don't understand where somebody else comes from, exactly. Right. Like how, how many times did I tell the Cadwin kids, listen, they think you're thugs. Fact. That's what they think. Fact. That's their perception. You have to act better than them to break that perception. Yeah. Uh, this is a funny story. So these pants have been sewed in the crotch twice now. Okay. Right. Because that's who I am as a person. Right. Like, cause you didn't want to go buy a new pair. I'm not going to go buy a new pair. Right. Like my zipper is broken on the side. Oh, the only reason you know about it is because I've pointed it out. Otherwise like that's, that's just my mindset. Right. Like if it's not completely broke and it can't be fixed, like I'm not, I'm not going out to spend this money, but like, we're going on a vacation, right? I, fuck it. I don't care. <laughs> like we, Nick, Nick has bought some beers. Like, I don't care. Like, so even though we've divulged way away from what we were originally talking I, about. I, so I, I, the whole point, yeah, is, I, the whole point I, is you can pay student debt off quick. Just eat fucking ramen. <laughs> so I, I got a story about that too. So David and Dan came to visit me in Rockford. Yeah. And Mike had bought one of these, we're going to say mini kegs. Cause it was like, yay big. Yeah. And yeah, last, they go, like, it was like three glasses. Yeah, it, it wasn't very big per person, or just three. three and there, it didn't hold as much as it, it was like. like a, it was like a hefty weiss in it, but yeah. it was like something. Yeah, it was literally like. And yeah. Dave and Dan were like, like, "That looks cool," so they buy one, and then they made a lamp out of it because they're handy people. I had that lamp for years. Yes, oh. and and funny thing is, I um sold it at a garage sale for three times. No, I um. <laughs> It's a long story, but when I was in, um, I can't remember. I, I think it was when I was in Germany, actually, or when I met my German friend that I, one of my German friends, I went and visited over there once. Anyways, I asked him about that brand of beer and he told me a bit about it. And it, um, it's kind of funny. I, I had that lamp for, yeah, I had that for years. I don't know. I don't think I still have it. I think I might've gotten rid of it, but. Yeah, it was a, you know, a keg. I think it was five liters of beer, which is, you know, what, a little over a gallon. Tuesday night. Like a gallon and a third, gallon and a quarter, a quarter, something like that. And oh, shit, so that's a pretty decent. Uh, yeah, it was that's decent. a little bigger than the glasses. I mean, I well, it depends I mean, on... if a couple people drink it, it's going to last a while. If, yeah. you know, five or six people drink it, you're Yeah, five or six like... people, that's it. It's a glass a piece at, yeah. at, at most. Sure. And, but it was good beer. I remember that. And oh. um, yeah. So well, guys, I, didn't get I have these. got to. Um, well, yeah, we're going to get going. I got to run here in a minute. Hey, uh, so. say, I, w- I want to quick give a shout out to uh, Adesanya Mead. The Meads tonight were very, very good. Uh, David, I'm going to give a shout out to your beer too. Samuel Smith, way to go on getting me on this organic chocolate. Thank stout. you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Um, um, David, we already knew it was good. Iyengar and, and Grand Armory, thank you very much. David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your My all pleasure. of your knowledge. Um, thank you for having me on. I love having you anytime. Yeah, this was this Rudy Mavant, and then I had a couple of cider boys after I finished my other two. Uh, everybody, like, subscribe, share, tell your friends, tell your family. Uh, we love to talk about this. Sometimes we get on our high horse and love to really get in depth on this stuff if we can do one next week i'm looking at wednesday maybe i'm hoping let's do so, it all so. right thanks for joining us again we will talk to you guys soon thank you david so much mike good to see you again gotcha.
call in to Box and Brews, you might hear something you can use. Like tips on your cash or tips on the suds. You're going to want to use the smarts of these stuff. Because they know the brews. And they know the box. And they know they can't help the stubborn fucks. So listen up, because shit's not funny. And save yourself some beer money. Bucks. And brews. Bucks and brews. And brews. Bucks and brews.